It's one of the deepest, richest, most important books of the Bible, Romans. In this message, join Pastor Chris Chadwick and learn more about what the Bible says in the book of Romans. Would you take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Romans chapter 4 in your Bibles this morning, the book of Romans chapter 4. As you are turning there, I want to let you know of a couple of things I want to encourage you to be this Saturday at 10 o'clock at our All Church Outreach. We're going on outreach for our Christmas series. We got to reach out and let the whole world know that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Amen. We want to do that for sure. And so this Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, we'll be going out got door hangers and flyers and all kinds of things. And so I want to encourage you to be here at 10 o'clock this Saturday morning. If you say, well, I've never been on Old Church Outreach, well, come and we'll send you with somebody who knows and we'll try to make sure that you are uh, confident and uh, it'll be a great time. And then this coming Sunday, We'll begin a Christmas series, a three-week Christmas series entitled The Thrill of Hope. And uh, we want to encourage you to be here for that. And we're excited about it, The Thrill of Hope. We live in a world right now without hope. Everywhere you turn, it seems like people are in despair and despondency and discouragement. And so there's some people that you work with that need some hope. There are some folks that you know that need some hope. And so I want to encourage you, be here this uh, Saturday as we go out. And then invite your friends. Most people are going to come. Somebody said 86% of people who attend a church for the first time attend because a friend invited them. And so I want to encourage you to come and then invite some friends to be a part of that. And, uh, and that 86% of, of people who attend church, it's probably close. The same number of people who are converted come to Jesus Christ because a friend prayed for them and invited them. And so love your friends enough during this Christmas season to invite them to a thrill of hope. The, the series, it's going to be awesome. If you take your Bibles, Romans chapter 4, uh, last week I, um, my, uh, I thought I would get farther than I did. We started in verse number 9. I thought we would be able to finish through verse number 25. And my wife made fun of me after the fact, thinking, what were you thinking? You've never been able to do that much in your entire life. And, and she was right. I've never been able to finish that much of a chapter in my entire life, uh, unless it was a narrative. And so... Um, we finished through verse number 16, but just to bring you a little bit up to speed, just because I want you to have a little bit of background, this is the, there's five divisions in the book of Romans, not including the introduction and the conclusion. Of those five divisions, this is division number two, which runs through chapter three, verse 21, through chapter five, verse number 21. And the primary focus of this is really justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. It deals with doctrinal matters, but the primary emphasis of the doctrinal matters are, are those of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. And remember the book of Romans, the overarching theme of the entire book of Romans is that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. I mean, we're going we're gonna to hit that over and over and over and over again, that's what this book is all about helping us to understand what it means to be biblically redeemed or biblically saved. And Paul just keeps reiterating that in this wonderful, wonderful book of the Bible. Well, we looked at verse number 9 through verse number 16 last week, and we saw that Paul is really reviewing some theological high points. And it says in verse number 9 of our text, if you would look there, where he says, cometh this blessedness, talking about or referring to verse 8, blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute, or the word impute means credit to the account of, whom the Lord will not impute, I'm sorry, let me read it correctly, blessed is the man whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness, verse number 9, then upon the circumcision only, referring to the Jews only. That's how he was distinguishing them in this passage. Circumcision is going to be the Jews. Uncircumcision is going to be the Gentiles. Circumcision is going to be after the act in the Abrahamic covenant of circumcision. Uncircumcision is going to be pre or before the Abrahamic covenant, just so that you're able to distinguish a little bit, and we'll help you to remind you of that. Cometh this blessedness then, Upon the circumcision or the Jews only, or upon the uncircumcision or the Gentiles also. For we say that faith was reckoned or considered or credited to Abraham 
for righteousness. How was it then reckoned when he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. We learned this last week. It's a reiteration of the theological high point that the apostle Paul has. And that is this, that forgiveness is available to all mankind. Whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, whether you are, he'll go on to say later, whether you are bond or free, whether you're a barbarian or a Scythian, just talking about divergent groups that would be in the church and in the culture, that salvation is available to all mankind. If salvation was available to the Jews only, most of us in here would never have the opportunity to be saved because most of us in here aren't Jews. But salvation, forgiveness is available to all mankind. And Paul is reiterating that and making that very, very, very clear. And then we saw verse 11 through verse number 14. And he received the sign of circumcision, talking about Abraham, with the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised. Or he got this, the, the picture of circumcision before he was circumcised. He had yet being uncircumcised. That he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed or credited unto them also the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had yet being uncircumcised. The second theological high point that the apostle Paul is reviewing is do always follows done. Now, I talked with Debbie last week, and I said, was that clear? Because I thought it was clear, and my wonderful wife was like, yeah, I don't think that one was very clear. And she said, I, I think you got around to it eventually, but it took you a while. And then she looked at me and just said, do better. So that's not really the way she talks to me, but that's what she was thinking. I can assure you of that. What she really said was, well, I think the Lord went ahead and used it. So uh, here's me trying to do better. Doing for God always follows what has already been done on Calvary's cross. Let me say that a different way. When we do something for the Lord, it is not to earn salvation. For salvation is entirely a work of Jesus Christ that he completed when he died on the cross of Calvary for the sins of all mankind. That's why do follows done. We don't do something for the Lord so that he'll be happy with us. We do something for the Lord because he already showed his love to us and gave himself for us. If you're here today and you're like, I'm going to go to church because I want God to be happy with me. You've come for the wrong reason. You've got the cart before the horse. Do what we do always follows what has already been done and what has been done is Christ has paid the sin debt that you and I owe. He paid that 2,000 years ago and it cannot ever be paid again because the, the payment Jesus made satisfied God. So what you do does not merit or earn you favor with God because Jesus Christ already paid that debt. Here's how we say it. It's been done. It's been done. Nothing that you can do. You can't pray enough. You can't go to a confession enough. You can't do last rites enough. You can't speak in tongues enough. You can't give enough. You can't go on mission trips enough. You can't be sober enough. You can't do any, you can't be free of porn enough to do anything to earn salvation. Salvation was paid for when Jesus died on the cross of Calvary for our sins. It's been done. And that's verse number 11 through verse number 14. And then we get to verse number 15. And the last theological high point, really, that Paul is talking about here, because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. The law is what convicts. He's reminding them of this again, what he reminded them of, or taught them, I should say, in chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, that the law convicts of sin. For the law worketh wrath. So, what does the word wrath mean? Anger, pain, 
animosity, difficulty, darkness. The whole point of the law, 613 commandments in the Old Testament. The whole point of the law is to prove to you that you are a sinner. Some folks say things like, well, but I feel like I'm pretty good. I feel like I'm doing okay. I feel like, like, like God is pleased with what I'm doing. No, no, the whole point of the law is to prove to you that you are a sinner. The whole point of the law is to prove to me that I'm a sinner. And Paul will say later, I had not known covetousness except the law said, thou shalt not covet. The whole point of the 613 laws in the Old Testament are to prove to you that you're not good enough and never will be good enough to earn salvation. That's the entire point of the law. What do you mean? I, 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 come on, pastor, there's got to be a way out. There is, but it's not by your effort. It's not by my effort. There's no way that we can earn salvation with God. It is all a work of Christ on the cross, and the whole point of the law is to prove to us we need Jesus. We need Jesus. Why? For where no law is, there's no transgression. If you don't understand that you're a sinner, you'll never turn to Christ. And the reality is that we're all sinners. Just take the Ten Commandments. Just take a couple of them. Thou shalt not covet. You say, oh, I don't covet. You ever looked at anybody and said, oh, man, I'd like to get with them. You say, oh, we shouldn't talk like that in church. Well, we shouldn't talk like that in our own heart, and that's what proves that we coveted. That's the proof. Well, I've never done that. Well, you ever bought anything on credit that you didn't need? Well, I really wanted it. I know you needed that $60,000 new truck. Needed but you really didn't need it. You got it because you thought it would bring you satisfaction and happiness. You coveted. That's the whole point of covetousness. You coveted when you bought that. And it proves that you're a sinner. You're like, wait a minute, it can't mean that. No, that's exactly what it means. You said, are you telling me that Moses, when he wrote the law, was thinking about my Toyota? No, but Jesus was. Or your Hyundai or whatever. It's kind of funny to say you coveted a Hyundai. So... I have one and I love it. I love it. But I mean, I remember when those cars came over, you know, like back in the day, it was like you had a skateboard with a motor on it. And so that's pretty coveted. Thou shalt not steal. That was not given to prove your goodness. No, because we've all stolen things. I've never stolen anything. I had a guy tell me one time, you've never stolen anything? Never. Nothing. 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 Not a single thing, not a single thing. It was, that's how the conversation went. Really, you've never stolen anything. He said, yeah. I said, man, that's awesome. You've never taken a pen from work that wasn't yours? Well, well, I mean, I don't think they really care. Well, that's not what the law's requirement is. That's not the law's requirement. The law's requirement is taking something that is not yours. Well, I mean, if you're going to define it that way, it's not my way. It's the Bible way. I didn't come up with this way. I prefer not stealing means anything over $50,000. But God's requirement is quite simple, taking anything that's not yours. Well, if you say that, yeah, then I've broken it. Okay, well, then you've broken it. Thou shalt not lie or bear false witness. You ever told a lie? No, I've never told a lie. I think that's a lie. You ever told a lie? Well, I mean, but not big ones. Like, I've not revealed state secrets. Do you have them? <laughs> well, no, but have you ever told a lie? Even a little one? How many lies does it take to make you a liar? One. Well, I've not, done the, I've not broken the big laws. Have you ever committed adultery? No. You ever looked at your, another person with lust in your heart? I mean, this is Jesus' definition. Well, well, of course, who hasn't? Okay, well, then you're an adulterer, according to Jesus. That's not according to Chris. That's according to Jesus. I'm in the same boat. Well, I haven't killed anyone. Good. But have you hated anyone or been so mad at someone that you wanted to punch him in the face or anywhere else? Well, of course. I have siblings. I get it. But the reality is that that's the definition of what hate is. 
If you hate somebody to the point that you want to just do them harm in your own heart or murder, rather, that's the whole idea of thou shalt not kill, is if you hate them in your heart. See, what Jesus is looking at is not simply your actions. He's looking at your heart. And when he looks at our heart, here's what we understand, verse number 15. The law worketh wrath. You say, if I inspect my life by the law, I am totally defeated. Right. Right. And that's what Paul is reminding us of. You say, well, this isn't to make me feel good. No, I'm not, that's not the ultimate goal is to make you feel good. The ultimate goal is to help you be right with God. You see, and then we came to verse number 16 last week. Therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the sea, not only to that which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. We understood this last week. Salvation begins with faith and ends with grace. Salvation begins with faith. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be of grace. Abraham's faith in God, Abraham's faith that God would do what God promised to do, that God would fulfill what God promised to fulfill. Abraham's faith ended with the grace of God on his life. And can I tell you, that's what salvation is, is you putting, the word faith means total confidence, and we'll reiterate that in a minute, but it's putting total confidence and complete trust in, in Jesus Christ as the, the one who paid for your sin debt. Salvation is putting your faith and trust in Christ alone. It begins with faith, and the person who puts their faith and trust in only Jesus Christ is guaranteed his grace on on their life, his grace of salvation on their life. No one ever comes to Christ in faith and is rejected. Everyone who comes to Christ in faith receives the grace of salvation. It's available, verse 9, to all mankind. And so Paul reiterates that point rather clearly in verse 16. In verse number 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom ye believed, even God who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Paul, this, this, this whole chapter here is really, all of chapter 4, is really an illustration, or not an illustration, but is, it is a, a chapter about Abraham. And when it comes to faith in Christ, the question that people often ask is, how do I do that? How, how do I do what, what you've been talking about? And so we see our second point in a three-point message. The first one was last week. But we, we see in verses 18 to 22, the performance of faith. The performance of faith. And Paul uses, if you will, verse number 18, who against hope believed in hope that he might become, talking about Abraham, the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, I'm sorry, the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. What he had promised, he was able, God was able to perform. If you were to, if you have children or work with children, and by children, I probably mean kids between probably a year old to five or six years old, if you were to work with them and you teach them how to speak and they're learning to speak, as an infant in that first year, there's a lot of jibber-jabber and they don't say a lot of words correctly. And as you begin to instruct them on how to teach, um, if you're a good parent or aunt and uncle or friend or whatever the case may be, you often will get down on their level and you'll say something like this. I say this all the time to kids. Look at my lips. And you have them watch your lips. And when you're teaching them how to speak, what do you do? You slowly pronounce a word and you draw special emphasis to the word that they are struggling with. 
if they can't say their S's, you, you could tell them, now keep your tongue behind your tooth when you say S, but you really, at that age, they're not going to comprehend that. So what are you doing? You, are, you show them how to do that. You're trying to instruct them and help them by way of example. When I was in high school, I uh, took French. My French name in class, you always had to pick a name. My French name was Francois. Why? Because I thought it was a wonderful name. And you know, I like the name Frank, and it's the French version of Frank. And I would sit in class, and my French teacher was a wonderful lady. She was a kindergarten teacher with a minor in French. And, and so that provided for a world of fun for those of us in her class. I mean to tell you, there were more than a few days when we would walk into class. It was after lunch, and God forgive every high school that ever had a class after lunch. You should have lunch and go home because you're tired after that. And we would have lunch and we'd go sit in our class and it was often warm. We were in Spokane, Washington, and, and it was often warm in our class and we would be a little tired and, and she would say to me, Je suis fatigué, Francois? Are you tired, Francois? And I would say, oui, madame, I'm, fat- I'm just tired. I would say it in French though. I can't remember how to do that. But um, I would say that, yeah, I'm tired. And she would say, Francois, why don't you lay your hand head down, all in French, lay your head down on the table and take a nap. When you're a junior in high school and the teacher said, lay your head down on a table and take a nap, now you might think, oh, I'd never do that. I thought, yes, ma'am. I'd lay my head down on that table and I would take a nap. And I had a, a friend in French, there were like six of us, it was a small class. Her name was Shanda and Shanda would, would call the teacher by name and say, um, Madame, we're all tired. Can we lay down and take a nap? And the teacher would say, well, if you want to lay down on the floor, you could take a nap. So more than a few class periods in my French class did we lay down on the floor and take naps. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And it's a joy to have a French teacher that was a kindergarten teacher but it was it was this is what she would often do when we would struggle to pronounce a word and we would be challenged she would get right in front of us and she would say now watch my lips and we would watch your lips now watch my tongue and we would watch her tongue what is she doing she's illustrating or giving us an example on how it is that we are supposed to say certain words she's helping us to see that The Apostle Paul is using Abraham on how we're supposed to live out our faith, on what we're supposed to do, and we're to follow his example, the example we have in Genesis chapter 12, all the way through Genesis chapter 21, and really even following into 22 and following, that that we are to be a people who live out the faith of Abraham, who is, listen to me, our example He is our example, one of the many that God in his goodness gives us through his word. He is our example. Well, what did Abraham do? Look at verse number 18 and 19. Who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. I want you to notice this morning that Abraham believed God to do the impossible. Abraham believed God to do the impossible. So often in our life, we want to, we want to um, bring anthropomorphize or bring God down to our level. We want to understand God in terms of human understanding. But Abraham understood something about God. Abraham understood that God was capable of doing that which was impossible. Well, well, what's the impossibility that Abraham is talking about? Well, according to our text, that Abraham was 100 years old or about 100 years old, the scripture says, And yet God had promised him a child and he believed that God was going to give him a child even though he was about 100 years old. Now, to add to that, notice what the scripture says. It says, and being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. Though he was alive, he was dead. Well, what does it mean? Well, the word dead, I won't get into all the Greek with you uh, normally, but it's a perfect passive participle, and it means dead, powerless, 
impotent. And it's referring to the body. Abraham understood he did not have the human faculties necessary to have a child. I mean, I don't want to get too into it. You're mature enough for me not to have to do anything there. But understand, Abraham knew that his body would never be able to do what was needed to be done in order for him to have a child. It wasn't like he was 100 years old and still strong. Paul uses this phrase through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Abraham understood his body was completely dead. He was without hope. Abraham, I'm going to give you a child. Uh, I'm dead. I mean, I'm alive, but I'm dead. There's no way that I could do this. But Abraham didn't believe it, live in doubt. Abraham lived in the delight of knowing that God is capable of doing the impossible. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 11, through faith also Sarah received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him, God, faithful, who had promised. Therefore sprang there every one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. Abraham believed God to do the impossible. Can I say with candidness and honesty that salvation, as the Bible describes it, is completely impossible apart from faith in Jesus Christ and what salvation really is, is us believing God to do the impossible. One commentator said, every false religion of the world, whether it be a heretical branch of Christianity or a highly developed pagan religion or primitive animism, is founded on some form of salvation by works without exception. They teach that by one means or another, man can become right with his deity by attaining righteousness in his own power. The entire fourth chapter of Romans is divided to Abraham, who Paul uses as an illustration for the central biblical truth that man can become right with God only by faith in response to God working on the heart of man. Abraham believed God to do the impossible. So many people think, I'll just try a little harder. I'll just, I'll just do a little bit more I'll go to church more, I'll watch less porn, I won't nag as much, I won't get lit up on Friday nights, I won't sleep around, I'll give more money to the Christmas offering, I'll go to church, I'll do all of these things or some of these things and then God will be pleased with me. But the Bible says in Titus chapter 3 verse number 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Abraham believed God to do the impossible Abraham's faith in God, verse 20 and 21, was absolute. He performed the performance of his faith. His, his belief in God was absolute. He staggered not at the promise of God. He, he was unwavering, staggered not. He, he didn't pause. He, he didn't hold back in uncertainty. His faith in God was absolute. God had promised him when he was 75 that he would have a child. His wife was in her probably early 60s uh, range. And God says, you leave Ur of the Chaldees and you wander in a wilderness, Genesis chapter 12. And I promise that I will give you an offspring that'll be as the sand of the seashore innumerable. Your family, will be, your family will be a blessing to every family on the earth. Abraham, I'm gonna bless you in an amazing way. And now he's 100 and his body is now dead. And notice what the verse says. He staggered not. He was unwavering. He didn't hold back with uncertainty or unwillingness. You ever see anybody stagger? You ever see anybody that maybe gets punched and they stagger? Or they're overwhelmed and they stagger? Abraham didn't stagger at the promise of God. He, he, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Unbelief, not relying on God to accomplish what God says he would do. There was not a point in Abraham's life through here. Listen to what I'm about to say. There was not a point when, when Abraham was, was not believing God. He believed that God would accomplish what he said he would accomplish. Now, Abraham wasn't perfect and he made mistakes and he had to repent and come back to the Lord just like the rest of us. He was not a perfect man. But according to the scripture, he did not stagger through unbelief. There's some of you here that are professing believers, but you live your life half the time in unbelief. 
I don't know if God really meant what he said. I don't know if the scripture really means what it says. I don't know if God really intends to say what he is trying to say. I, I think that maybe I have to work my way to heaven or earn my way to heaven or do this or go to last rites or take a mission trip or give a certain amount of money or, 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 or have this uh, type of out-of-body experience. Or I've got to do all of these things. And the Bible says, no, 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 don't stagger through unbelief. God doesn't need you to do anything. God doesn't need me to do anything. Abraham staggered not at unbelief, but verse number 20, what was strong in faith. The word strong there means able to do the task necessary. When my daughters were small, I always wanted to teach them how to work. They're hard workers today because we taught them as early as two and three years old how to work. We'd be outside and I'd say, hey, I need you to pick that up for daddy. And it would be nothing more than a hammer. And then, oh, daddy, that's heavy. I don't think I'm strong enough. Oh, no, baby, daddy thinks you're strong enough. Oh, dad, I'm not strong enough. No, you're strong enough. Daddy, I don't think I'm strong enough. I said you're strong enough. Now pick the hammer up. And they'd go over and they'd, they would do you know, what we call a cat back and lifting. They'd lift it like, oh, see how strong it is? Well, you're just going to get better or lose your back, so let's go. Able to do that. You know what a lot of Christians are like, oh, I'm not very strong in my faith. Well, get stronger. <laughs> get stronger. You say, well, is it that easy? Well, no, but you still got to get stronger. Getting stronger physically is not easy, but it's not hard to figure out how to do it. Getting stronger spiritually you're probably not going to get strong. I said this at the, at the great 30 service this morning. A lot of people want to be strong in their faith and come to church once, once every month. I don't know why I'm not growing in my faith. I do. You can't be strong physically. Go to the gym once a month. I mean, if you go to the gym once a month, I'm going to tell you, you're just not going to be nearly as strong as you could be. You might be strong now, but wait for a little while and you'll just atrophy over time. I don't care how long you've been on the elliptical. I hate ellipticals. This is being strong in the faith. Well, how do you do it? Well, come to church. Study the word. Be attentive. Get in a community Bible study. Go through discipleship. Spend time in private worship. Be filled uh, with the power of God. Be yielded to the spirit. Be strong in the faith and able to do the tasks necessary. Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. God commands us to be strong. It's a command in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, which means don't quit. Be strong. I am troubled as a pastor with the weakness of the average Christian, especially our men, and primarily our young men who tell me they don't have time to spend in the Word, but they can play video games till 2 a.m. and then they're late for work. Bring that verse back up, please. Quit you like men. What is Paul saying? The implicit thought there, and if we had time to go back and exposit that text, we would understand Paul saying, don't quit. Men don't quit. Quit you like men. Be strong. Be strong what? In the faith. In the faith, be strong. You don't have to give in to the temptation of the world. You don't have to watch porn. You don't have to give in to alcohol. You don't have to give in to a party lifestyle. No, quit you like men. Well, pastor, it's everywhere. Folks, listen to me. It's always been everywhere. The opportunities to quit have abounded all the time, everywhere. Well, for how long? Well, I think I can go all the way back to creation when Adam and Eve were talking to a snake in the garden. In the greatest utopia ever, there was an opportunity to quit. And Paul says, quit you like men. Be strong. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 10, Paul says, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecution, in distress, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. 
his faith, Abraham's faith was was firm, was absolute, was not staggering, was not wavering. He was a man of tremendous faith. Verse 21 says, I was fully persuaded, completely confident. Abraham was completely confident that God would keep his word, that God would accomplish what God said he would accomplish, being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able to perform that God would give him a son when he was 100 years old and his body was dead. Boy, what a testimony to be fully persuaded, completely confident that God would keep his word. In verse number 22, and it was imputed. That word imputed means to be accredited or to be put on his account that it was imputed or Credited to Abraham for righteousness. And that word righteousness means it was, it was credited to Abraham that he satisfied the requirements of God's moral standing. That his faith that God would do what God said he would do would satisfy the requirements of God's moral standing. Or that Abraham achieved the requirements of God's moral standing because he believed in God by faith that God would do what God said he would do. And he was strong in in faith, Abraham was fully persuaded that God would do what he had promised to do. Fully persuaded. And the strength of Abraham's faith is measured by the object of Abraham's faith. The reason so many people struggle in their faith is because their faith is in their performance. Some of you are here, and this is what you're thinking. God will be happy with me if I just don't get drunk for the next month. If I just don't drink for the next month, then God will be happy with me. If I just dry out, God will be happy. If I just start, stop smoking weed, God will be happy with me. If I don't sleep around for the next month, God's going to be happy with me. I, I've just got to do this. If I don't yell at my kids in the flesh, God will be happy with me. If I don't yell at my parents, God will be happy with me. I've got it, whatever it is, whatever it is. If I stop stealing from work, God will be happy with me. If I stop claiming my goldfish on my tax return, God will be happy with me. Whatever the case may be, we just think what, there, there's, there, there's something that goes on. If I could just be a better wife for the next month, if I could just be a kinder husband for the next month, then God will be happy with me and everything will be good. No, no. Be, see, the problem with that is, is that you're trusting in yourself and you are the object of your own faith. And in being the object of your own faith, or whatever the illustration is for you, I'm just trying to throw ideas out there. Whatever the illustration is for you, if you are the object of your own faith, then listen to me, you're going to defeat yourself very, very quickly. Why? Because of the frailty of your abilities, the frailty of your own flesh. And God will bring you to a point where you understand that there's nothing that I can do. That's why Abraham's faith, Abraham's faith was so powerful because of the object of Abraham's faith. The object of his faith was in the creator God. And he was fully persuaded. He was completely confident that God would do what he said he would do. Well, pastor, what about these vaccines? God will do what he said he will do. I could lose my job. God will do what he said he would do. Well, what do you think I should do? I don't know. It's a personal decision. But God will do what he said he would do. Well, if God doesn't come through for me, that's it. I'm done. I'm not going, I'm not going back to church. I'm not living for Christ because he didn't do what I wanted him to do. That's what Abraham could have said for 25 years. 25 years. Strong in the faith. His faith was found in the object of his faith. When your performance is the foundation of your faith, you will never last. But I'll I'll, I'll go to confession and start over. It it will never last. I'll I'll just get up and do it again. I'll I'll just pull myself up by my own bootstraps and I'll make it work. You can't make salvation work. 
Salvation is entirely a work of God through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that's how Paul ends this wonderful chapter on salvation in verse 24 and 25. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. We see the call to accept Christ by faith. Paul has called this out a couple of times, but now he is really, really calling this out. He's not writing this as a history lesson to the church. This is not some declaration of a historical event, verse number 23. Now, it is not written for uh, his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also. It's not written just so that we understand that it was imputed or accredited to Abraham's account, but it was written for ours also, because if God wills save Abraham, then God can save me. It says in verse 24, we have to believe. I wonder today, the word believe means to place your faith in, strong confidence in. It's an exclusive confidence, meaning only in. If we believe on him, talking about God that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, It's exclusive confidence. I'm not going to get into the nuances of the Greek, but that's what it means. If we believe in. Well, I I believe in Jesus, but I believe in doing good works too. I I believe in Jesus, but I, I, I believe I... I, I got to do this thing and this thing and this thing in addition to that. No, no, no. Exclusivity means only. I believe in only Jesus. If we believe on him, if we believe on only him that raised up Jesus from the dead. Not trying to change the word, just trying to bring full definition or clarity in our modern vernacular. If I believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Jesus had been dead three days. To a Jew, three days was the cessation of life. They believed that the spirit left the body after the third day. They were wrong on that, and then Paul will deal with that later. But they believed that, that, that after the third day, the spirit left the body, and the person would not rise again. And, and Paul is saying to them, they, they believe that God raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered, turned over to those who would crucify him. He was delivered for our offenses. He was delivered for our, the word offenses means sin or wrongdoing or failures. It's what we talked about earlier. The Ten Commandments proves that that we have offenses, that we have sin. The whole point of the law, verse number 15, is to prove that, that we are offenders. Chapter 3, verse number 10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used to seat. The poison of, la- of asp or, or, or snakes or serpents is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood. I mean, that's some offenses. He was delivered for my offense. Christ was delivered because I'm a sinner. Christ was delivered because you're a sinner. He was delivered for our offenses. He was raised again, given life by God for our justification. Justification just means that we're in full compliance with God's laws and requirements. That if you'll put your faith and trust in Christ, you will fully comply with God's laws and requirements. Fully comply. Totally comply with what God requires. But there's an interesting word in verse 24. It's a word that if we're not careful, we overlook. But for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe. Some people are of an opinion that God forces you to believe. But the word if here, it's very clear. 
He wants you to, but you could turn him down. He wants you to repent and trust him as Savior and be justified or have your sins forgiven or be found morally compliant with God, but you could turn him down. The sad reality is there might be people here this morning in this service and maybe the great 30 service that, that turned God down. He's speaking to your heart. He's saying, hey, why don't you believe? Come to me today and believe. Turn to me today and believe. God's not going to force himself on you. He can't force himself on you. Forced love is no love at all. And God says, if you will believe on him that raised Jesus, raised up Jesus, our Lord from the dead. This is is a word of tremendous importance in the life of every person here. I've had people say to me, well, if God wants me to go to heaven, he'll he'll make me go to heaven. No, no, or or he'll just let me go to heaven. There's nothing I have to do. No, no, notice what the scripture says. If you believe. I'm not trying to make more of this than should be there. Romans chapter 10, verse number 13, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's saying the same idea a different way. You have to call on the Lord to be saved. Well, how then shall they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Well, let me tell you, you have a preacher here this morning who is encouraging you to come to Jesus Christ. The question is, will you call on him for salvation? Some people are still going, I'm just going to try harder. I'm going to come back to church tonight at 5 o'clock. I'm going to come on Wednesday night. I'll be here on Sunday. I'll even watch some of the old messages on YouTube. I'll listen to things. I'll do all of these things to try to prove I'm worthy. No, you're not worthy, and you can't be worthy. The only way you can earn salvation is if you will believe. And it's available to you today. Well, but pastor, everybody in this church thinks I'm a Christian. What? Nobody in this church... It's going to be sad if you really get saved. Nobody's going to go, man, I tell you what, can't trust him. No, nobody's going to do that. They're just going to rejoice that you finally believed. A doubting Christian is a defeated Christian. If you're just living in doubt after doubt after doubt, can I encourage you to come to Christ by belief and express your belief to him? Well, I don't know every answer. Well, neither do I. I've been reading this book every single day, I think, maybe other than about 10 or 15 for 27 years. I've read the Bible through I don't know how many numbers of times. I've been preaching for 27 years uh, this Sunday, as a matter of fact. I didn't even realize that. 27 years today. Um, <laughs> I don't know where that, yeah, anyway, 27 years. I've been studying the word for 27 years, and can I tell you that I've read any number of theology books. I've got a degree in theology. I've got a giant library. I've read some of the books. Um, I've read most, a few of them. Um, I'm a student, and there's so much about God that I don't know, and there's so much about God that I'll never know. Well, do you have every question answered? No. Because if I had every question answered, there'd be some things about faith that I wouldn't have to place my faith in. No, I have faith in God, the God of the Bible, that he will do what he promised to do. And if you'll believe in him, he promises to give you eternal life. It's It's not kept from you, it's for you. There's a reason God brought some Christians in your life or a flyer or you drove by or you saw an internet or there was a moving in your heart to come here. He wants you to come and to hear the gospel and to turn your life over to him. Don't walk away today going, I should have accepted him today. I should have put my faith in him today. I'll do it next week. Don't wait. Don't wait. You don't know that you have next week. I don't know that I have next week. The Bible says our life is a vapor. It appears for just a a little time, just a second, and it vanishes away. Before you know it, it'll be gone. Put your faith in Christ and do that today. See, the big idea of this text is when it comes to salvation, only Faith matters. When it comes to salvation, only faith matters. 
Oh, for the Christian, there's things that we do for the Lord because we love him and to prove the sincerity of our love for sure. But when it comes to being saved, the only thing that matters is faith in Christ, that he is the son of God, Romans chapter 10, verse number nine, and that he did die for the sin of mankind, that he was buried, and three days later, he rose again from the grave. Well, do I need to take a class to be saved? No, you don't need to take a class to be saved. Put your faith and trust in Christ. Well, do I need to make an appointment? No. When can I do it? Now. Well, God's busy. No, he's really not. You see, he's God and he's not busy? No. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all time. He's never busy. He'll always listen. He doesn't need you to go to a, a confessional booth. He doesn't need you to give money. He doesn't need you to do an act of service. He doesn't need you to help infants and, and, and children and widows. He needs you to express faith in Christ and only him. And if you will do that, you will be saved for all eternity. When it comes to salvation, only faith matters. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Have you? Have you? If you haven't, the Bible says the unfortunate and eternal destiny that you face is hell for eternity. Have you put faith in Christ? Or have you put faith in your performance? See, that's this whole idea of this chapter. Abraham was not saved by works, was not saved by anything else. He was saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Have you been? Will you leave this building today knowing that if you died, you are guaranteed heaven is your home? That you, you're, not, you're not going, praise his holy name, to some place like purgatory because there isn't one. The Bible says it's appointed a man once to die and then the judgment. That when you die, do you know today that when you die, that you will go to heaven? Do you have a relationship with Christ if not, accept him today. Oh, but pastor, people will think I'm weak if I accept Jesus. No, dear friend, people will think you're wise if you accept Jesus. People will think you're submitted to the God who created this universe with the word of his mouth. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages anytime at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m. We look forward to seeing you.